Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and I'm joined today by one of the most feared men of Montreal. He's a fellow podcaster, appearing on this show multiple times already, as well as a few others of his own, like the Double Density podcast, The Coda. And he also appears on the Order of Podcasters as Norman Johnson. I am, of course... Talking about the one and only Brian Hasty. Brian, welcome back to the pod, man. Thank you, Robert yeah. Christopherson. Yes. Uh, firstly, I always admire the way that you get the, to say the word Montreal properly. Um, uh, out of towners always put the wrong emphasis on the word. They say Montreal, but it yeah. seems like you've you've assimilated enough Canadian. Every time you say something Canadian, I'm continually astounded by it. Yeah, man, it's just that exposure being so close to the border. You you don't realize what you pick up until you start talking and. Uh, you know, people from Canada are like, "Oh, hey, you you have got it down a little bit. You you you're all right in our book." And uh, it's true, it's true. You know, my cred keeps going up. So your Canadian cred? Yeah, my Canadian cred. Uh, I think it has done nothing but skyrocket. I learned about a a, a crazy place on Labrador that uh, apparently is a ghost town in which uh, was plagued by some mysterious creature that. Uh, was apparently a cross between a you know people seeing a moose and a wolverine. <laughs> <laughs> that is a wide so like there's an ag- agreement there that it's four legged. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like uh, it, it's a great book. The book I'm talking about is a book by Adam Schultz called um, I think it's like Whispers in the Night or something. Whispers on the in the Night Air or something like that. I can't remember the exact title, but uh, it's a great book. Uh, he does at the end acknowledge that he wasn't able to explain everything but he pointed to the things that he thought was most likely and me being a complete idiot and not knowing you know what the canadian landscape of animals i didn't know you guys at one point had wolverines yes yeah um there's some thought that the Wendigo is related to the notion of the Wolverine. I just realized, too, that that is also like a Marvel tie-in because of uh, the like Wolverine's first appearance, mm-hmm. uh, the Hulk and Wendigo and all that. Uh, but yeah, uh, there is a vast landscape up here and uh, many ecosystems that contain many different kinds of animals. Yeah, Canada is its a beautiful place, folks. They have their own unique biosystems and their own unique flora and fauna, and I'm learning every day. So you should definitely go check out that Adam Schultz book. It just came out like back in October. But Rob, we are not here to talk about Canada today, are we? We're not. We're, we're talking about Brazil. And not... not- the Brazil case everyone expects you to talk about, the one that you've you've talked about before, the one that gets all the headlines. Yeah, we're we're not talking Virginia. We're not talking uh Antonio Vies Boas. We're not talking about those blood sucking, stupid rectangular refrigerator things. No. <laughs> we're talking about an alien abduction. Not only that, an old ass alien abduction. So, uh, both an extraordinary alien abduction, as well as one of the most mundane alien abductions, and we'll explain why uh, uh, during the course of the show, but a very singular case. Yes, a very singular case. A a case of recruitment. Yes, I think that's the best word that we can use to describe this, but uh, this case was ripped right out of the headlines of the Brazilian newspapers back in the day. 
And uh, the sources that we're uh, calling from for this are two articles uh, in Flying Saucer Review. Actually, technically three, although I'm, I'm not really worried about the third one so much. But the main article is known as Abduction at Bebe Doro. Uh, and it appeared in the November-December 1973 edition of the magazine. It was written by Julio Brandt Alexio, and it was translated by Gordon Crated. Now... Alexio wrote this article to correct misinformation that had appeared in an earlier article uh, from by Gordon Creighton himself. And I think what's interesting about it, and, this, and the original article I think was uh, titled 48 Hours Aboard a Flying Saucer. I think what's interesting here is that there is this tradition of kind of Brazilian cases in which uh, Gordon Creighton translates or reports himself after receiving like newspapers or something like that and some people having to come forward to correct his misinformation you think the brain trust at fsr would ask him to pass some kind of proficiency exam or something to show him right you would think so but it, it just no like the man wielded so much power he could not be controlled and therefore uh you could not summarize nor translate properly in a lot of cases what you're seeing here which is a bit problematic. Yeah, the the first instance in which this happened was actually the Antonio Villas-Boas case, uh, in that he had uh, received, um, I, I believe it was like a flying saucer kind of um, periodical from Brazil. I forget exactly what it was called, but uh, in it was an article by a guy named Walter Bueller who... Um, he went on to document a lot of cases from Brazil. And when Gordon Creighton got his hands on the stuff, he, it was amazing because nobody had reported abduction cases before. This was, uh, it was re reported in like the January, February issue of flying saucer review. Before that, there were, there were like kind of jokey pieces about it. Oh, people being kidnapped by aliens. It was, it was a joke, but this case was, you know, it had credibility behind it. The, the interesting thing was is that Walter Bueller, uh, when he visited Antonio Villas-Boas, he started feeding him wrong information because he didn't really want anybody to know who he was or his story <laughs> or anything like that. So he got the date wrong. He got some of the details wrong. It was great. So it led to Dr. Olavo Fontes, the original person who examined Antonio because he had some, you know, health effects and, and such, who also wrote up on the case to actually come forward and say, no, you got a lot of stuff wrong. Perfect. Exactly. And we are, what, like five and a half, almost six decades removed from that now? Yes. Yes. Uh, that's that's where we're at. And, uh, you know, just Gordon Creighton, maybe he did know a lot of languages. He was He was able to translate, I think, Portuguese. Uh, French and uh, I don't know, maybe another language out there, but uh, yeah, just uh, master of none, really. Yeah, cl clearly, clearly. So this is the abduction of Jose Antonio da Silva. He was a 24-year-old soldier, and before we get into that, let's let's talk briefly about the abduction landscape around this time. So. Yeah, abductions started to enter the ufological lexicon in 1965. Uh, I mentioned the Antonio Villas-Boas case and how Dr. Lavo Fontes had to correct a bunch of misinformation. But it was actually, 
I want to say like maybe even four or five years after this that Brazil itself learned of Antonio Villas-Boas' case. So, you know, they, they've got a track record. It appeared everywhere else except for Brazil. And after that, like months after Antonio's case appeared in Flying Saucer Review, that's when Betty and Barney Hill got doxxed by John Luttrell. Uh, he had gotten his hands on the NICAP report, and he had talked to the Hills. The Hills did not want their story printed in a newspaper, and Luttrell didn't give a shit. And even before, uh, because Barney Hill had hired some lawyers to stop him from publishing, it, a story hit the uh, Boston Traveler, and... Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it it just kind of blew up. Uh, it, the story was called "UFO Chiller." Did couple get abducted or something like that? But and then in sixty, I just looked this up because I couldn't remember. But in sixty six, the interrupted journey came out, right? So yes. right around the same time. Yes, uh, the Hills approached um, John G. Fuller when he was investigating the incident at Exeter in September of nineteen sixty five. He had. Uh, uh, gone there rather quickly after uh, the incident involving a kid named Norman Muscatello. And uh, the the Hills had approached him and just said, hey, would you document our story? And, and he did. So, yeah, that was published in The Interrupted Journey, 1966. And in Brazil particularly, we have... Uh, cases that are known uh, not as abduction cases necessarily, though they do call them that. Uh, what they are known mostly as are quote-unquote teleportation cases, because in many of them, the folks that were abducted were dropped off in like places kilometers from where they were taken. The area where this occurred is known as the Valley of the Old Women, Um which is, you know, I, I don't know. It's a great name. Great name for, like, a place where creepy abductions take place. And Yeah, it's not like Happy Meadow Park or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would have probably enjoyed the postmodernism more if it had been that. But, <laughs> you know, we, we get what we get. So uh, the Valley of the Old Women uh, includes... Uh, Places like Sao Francisco de Salas, which is where the Antonio Villas-Boas abduction took place. Areas around Sao Paulo, Rio de Janeiro. Belo Horizonte is another, like, hot spot. There's a lot of cases that generally come from Belo Horizonte. And that's kind of where uh, the story of Jose Antonio da Silva begins. He was an enlisted soldier with the uh, military police in the state of uh, Minas Gerais, or Gerais, I, I've, I've heard it pronounced both ways, but he was a resident of uh, Belo Horizonte, uh, where he lived with his entire family. He was the second oldest child of a family of 12. We got a big family here, and his job... Also unmarried. Yes, unmarried at 24... He's around the same age as Antonio Villas-Boas. I think Antonio Villas-Boas was 23. So uh, clearly these abductors, whoever they are, they have, they an, have a type. Yes, they do have a type, and it is men in their early 20s. 
Swipe right on the men. Yes, swiping right on uh, the apps that they have built into their UFOs. (laughs) So uh, his job uh, as a military police officer for the state of Minas Gerais, that afforded him enough money to buy some land uh, that he in turn gifted a portion of to his brothers and sisters. So they all basically lived in the same area he built uh, he helped to build his own house, which is, you know, dope. Uh, not all of us can say that, hey, we helped build our own house. And uh, at the time here, his mother had died about two years previously. So the story begins on May 3rd, 1969. Jose Antonio, he caught a bus from Belo Horizonte, and he headed toward the town of Pedro Leopold. Before he arrived, he jumped off and he started walking down a road called Jaguara Road toward the city of Bebedoro. He was on his way to go fish. Yes, he was on his way. He The, the fishing was right in Bebedoro. And um, he, decided, he was on leave for a couple of days, so he decided to go out and go fishing. Which is, it, it brings up memories of the... Uh, Alfred Berteau case, the case in which uh, an elderly man decided to go night fishing. He was approached by aliens after seeing a light land in a forest, was brought on board a UFO, and was told by the aliens that he was too old and infirm for their purposes. So a lot of similarities there, which is interesting. A lot of ageism, too. Yes, there is ageism with these cases. It's so so terrible. Fucking aliens, man. (laughs) But... Uh, he had, uh, walked for quite a while, and by midnight, he had arrived at a small lagoon with, uh, supplies that he had brought with him wrapped in a cloth bundle. This included, you know, uh, his fishing supplies. He had, you know, some lures and some, uh, food with him. Uh, he also had a small tent, and he fished for a while before turning in for the night. He awoke around daybreak the next day on the 4th, and he packed up his tent and did a little bit more fishing. Uh, he failed to land anything, so f- for lunch he ate a, uh, he broke into a can of sardines and he started to mow down. At around 3 that afternoon, he had uh, headed back to the lake and started to fish some more. He could hear, like, movement behind him. Uh, it was sounded like multiple figures and, uh, they were followed by voices and Jose Antonio suddenly felt a burst of fire in his legs as he fell to his knees. He was, he released the fishing pole from his grip and a small figure appeared to be looking out from the nearby bushes and he could catch him as he was falling down. He had seen kind of like a beam of green light hit his legs and upon falling, these figures did not hesitate. They swarmed on this man immediately. Uh, they were strong, and they basically lifted him up underneath his arms. And they started to carry him through uh, like the thickets and the swamp. And uh, eventually a third figure joined them. And these folks were small. They stood just about 1.2 meters or close to four feet tall and um 
their bodies were covered in this like lightly colored metallic covering uh, from like head to toe. They had a uh, helmet that complemented the rest of their clothing, and it was the color of kind of like a dull aluminum. The helmets had masks on them, and, and it made like uh, it was made of like a darker material um, where the mask met uh, the helmet, and it bore two round eye holes on it. So um, this this is absolutely terrifying. This is like this is like hazmat level Marty uh, Marty McFly Back to the Future shit. Uh, this is Darth Vader from Planet Vulcan, Brian. That's what it is. Yeah, they're entirely they're entirely featureless, right? Yeah. That's the thing is that like they're wearing some kind of gear, obviously uh, due to any number of Earth's problems, uh, and uh, so uh, very courteous though in pulling him away immediately. They didn't let him lie there, you know. Yeah. They they caught him, you know. They were they were sure to bring him through uh, properly because yeah, if you're going to incapacitate someone, you might as well uh, catch them when they fall. Yeah, it's it's important, you know. Blasting someone in the legs, you need to care after that. And how do you care? You lift them up by their armpits immediately. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So meters away through a set of trees, uh, they led to a strange object. Interestingly enough, they felt comfortable enough to park it on a dirt road. And it kind of sat on an incline. The craft was composed of a tall cylindrical portion with a door on one side. And atop it and below it were two flattened kind of round pieces. The one on the top was a slightly larger make than the one on the bottom. The top of that craft was supported by a number of rods that were kind of evenly spaced around it. When you look at the depictions of this thing, Brian, it looks very DIY. It looks made <laughs> by someone. Absolutely. It looks like it's been made by someone on an HGTV show that repurposes old accent pieces of furniture. It makes them into like poverty pieces that retailers would mark up if they sold them in retail stores. So I think when De Silva was being interviewed, he took a tumbler, right? Like a, a kind of like glass and like kind of explained what it looked like. And it, the drawing on there definitely screams like, I don't know, like old school, like coffee maker or like some kind of like a tea um, apparatus. Yes. The main thing about this craft and, you know, when you're when you're talking about a craft that uh, uh, you're bringing someone aboard it is incredibly small. It's yes. very small. Uh this machine was about two meters or six and a half feet tall and approximately two and a half meters or like eight feet in diameter. Uh, yeah, it just wasn't very big. So Jose Antonio was taken through a door that was about eh, four feet tall by about two feet wide. Not very big. Uh, apparently, they just had no problem maneuvering this guy inside. They... It's like they've done this before, Brian. This is a pattern. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, they knew to go catch him when they shot him with their, you know, uh, uh, weird, um, almost like wooden looking gun. Yeah. And uh, they just brought him. Yeah, it does seem like this is not the first time. And uh, the funny thing is, I'll get into this a little bit later when we kind of discuss um, the offer that is made to him eventually. But it's clear that they keep trying to find the right suitor for their proposition. Yes. Yes, they do. Uh for Antonio vs. Boas, it was alien banging. For <laughs> Jose Antonio, it's a little different. Uh, but yeah, the uh, these beings were they, they carried with them 
I think the best way to describe them, uh, because they sell uh, they sell them in Lake Placid, uh, which is uh, not far from where I live. It's uh, if you know the Miracle on Ice folks, you know uh, what what Lake Placid is because that's where it took place. But in some of the stores and like there's like a, a toy store in town, they they sold like old school rubber band guns made out of wood and it looked kind of like that with this like except it was like shaped like kind of like a musket like a very absurd looking musket with kind of this long trigger at the top that kind of looked like a tree branch uh coming off that had been cut off at a, at a certain length but um yeah these uh the the compartment inside this craft was very small itself it was about two meters or six feet tall by uh about the same you know six feet long um the interior it was dressed in a dark gray material reminiscent of stone definitely not for the um the open plan kind of uh no crowd this is very cramped very cramped uh you know the property brothers would be screaming about this uh but uh, there were the light produced on the inside, and and this is an interesting feature that becomes part of uh, abduction stories for years and years on end. It was intensely bright in this cabin, but the fixtures were not visible. They are very good at hiding lighting, so maybe the property brothers could take some tips from these guys. Yeah, and keep down a lot of like electrical costs. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, one way that you can help with that is by not having an open concept so that, you know, uh, the, the walls could keep in some of that heat for a little bit longer. It's, it, it's considerably more to heat an area that's open as opposed to closed. <laughs> and here you are. I'm going to save you money on your heating bill. I love how you're using Earth-based science to explain this one, Rob. You kind of have to because it's like um, I, I, what I love about this case so much is that Jose is very descriptive. There's a lot of description of things in this. Like, the article that was written about this case was, like, I don't know, what, like 10 pages long or so? Oh, at the very least, yeah. Yeah. So there is no dearth of details in this case. So they uh, placed Jose Antonio on a seat in the center of the room, and uh, it was kind of a... I'm going to call it an intergalactic love seat because he was uh, flanked on both sides by his two captors. And the third figure occupied a chair that was closer to the wall. And a helmet, like the ones that the beings were wearing, uh, was forced onto his head, followed by restraints attached to his feet and his waist. The crew fastened themselves in before the craft lifted into the air and emitted a hum that fluctuated and uh, could be heard in the upper and lower portion of the deck, kind of reminiscent of the uh, Lonnie Zamora incident and the way that it fluctuated. Once uh, the the figure in the corner had pulled all the levers, the craft was in the air, and this animated conversation started to take place between these beings. Uh, but their language was, you know, as you would figure, incomprehensible, um, he noticed that there were a number of hard R's that would end words. Uh, this language was very guttural. I think it's a step up from the Antonio Villas-Boas beings that seem to just bark. 
at certain moments on their journey, their light would just begin to fill the cabin and then it would fade away. Kind of, uh, I think he's trying to, uh, kind of assuming that he's approaching like either the sun or a bright planet or something like that. But um, these seats, when they would fly, um, would also adjust back and forth uh, depending upon what angle the craft was at. But, you know, like a mobster leading someone to their secret hideout after they landed, a covering was placed over the eyes of Jose Antonio's mask, and they lifted him up again by the armpits and carried him because he was still <laughs> paralyzed. His legs would not work. Just Not a bad life. No, I mean, this is the life of a child. Except, you know, just slightly bigger. He is a child now. <laughs> Around him, despite the fact that he couldn't see, he, he, he just heard this collective of footsteps and voices and more of those hard R's. And some voices were higher than others, but uh, according to Jose, none of them appeared to be female. And uh, there's definitely no female uh, among the group here. He was placed down on another bench, uh, the covering removed from his eyes. He was in a much larger room than he was on the craft. Standing in front of him was another being. He was a short man with long hair and a beard that fell down to his waist. And he kept a healthy distance away from his new arrival. I have come to call these beings the Beard Boys. I think that's, yes. I think that's fitting. Uh, his skin was pale. His eyes were large and green, set wide on the face in deep orbital cavities. And the eyes seldom blinked only looking on with delight at the new arrival sitting in front of him. So something to note and something I've seen in a bunch of these drawings is that their heads look disproportionately large to the rest of their bodies. So they almost look like uh, like Easter Island yes. figurines sitting atop like child's bodies. Yes. With beards, of course. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's another case that I kind of briefly skim through. Um, so the book I am referring to is the Field Guide to Extraterrestrials, and uh, I, I've shown you the image of these beings, Brian. They are decidedly—I mean, yeah, their their heads look absolutely comical. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, uh, just like probably twice the size of a human head, very square in shape. Uh, their eyes are very intense, but uh, green. Um, and I, I just kind of wanted to show you this other image that I came across. This is a case from Argentina. Uh, it took place in Bahia Blanca. And this guy was apparently a hitchhiker. But another big... Whoa, yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, another big-headed that, being. He, very Easter Islandy. Yes. With the, he's got a large chin. Like, absurdly large. Yes, it is. I would still pick him up, though. Yeah, absolutely. You, you're you going to have stories. You're confident that he's not going to bring you to his alien overlords uh, anytime soon. You're confident that he does not have a fake wooden gun that can shoot you in the legs. <laughs> and, and just to render you incapacitated while you're driving the car. Yes, while you're driving the car. So, also, uh, yeah. Jose Antonio, one of the other parts that made me laugh at the description is that they had mouths like fishes. Yes, they did. They kind of just, like, opened and closed them a little bit. Uh, there was, uh, in the uh, Canada Obscura episode that I did, and I talked about that case that 
that Men in Black encounter that took place in the Kmart vestibule, he talked about how one of the beings, one of the Men in Black, kept his mouth open and it looked made him the uh, made it look like kind of like a fish. So, yeah, similar kind of stuff at play here but uh jose antonio he kind of started to pray at the first sight of this freaking being because who wouldn't it's it's bizarre and all of his captors started to remove their helmets and they all resembled the same bearded figure and the room kind of started to fill with them uh there were as many as 16 that uh, came into this room and he looked beyond his captors to a row of corpses on a low shelf yeah all of them uh they were laid on their backs and they appeared to be all males they looked very human uh they lacked injuries it was as if they were in kind of a form of stasis as if uh you know they could get up at any second there were no clear discernible injuries on any of these bodies they just had some you know rando bodies sitting on a bottom shelf just a completely normal thing to do when you have guests over. Yeah, absolutely. So Jose theorized that they hadn't been killed by these short humanoids, but perhaps they couldn't handle the shock of their abductions and they just died. So petrified. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Kind of like those stories back in the day uh, that uh, pop up of people dying from some unnamed horror before they could, you know, say anything. Just instant death. I'm so glad that we in the 20 and 21st century have eradicated that. Yeah, absolutely. Like, this is no longer a problem, people. People are surviving. The nameless horrors are gone. Uh, and we're moving no, on. No, now, now we can name the horrors. Yes. That's the, whole, that's the whole problem. Yes. And the horrors in this case are the Beard Boys. <laughs> like the interior of the ship, the walls and floors of this large room... The room was about, like, I think the walls were somewhere between, like, I don't know, 15 to 20 meters long, um, each of them. So it was a very sizable room. Um, but it was composed of, like, stone, gray in color. The, the features were just hard uh, in there. Like, this is not the place where you, you're not going to, you will not find any comfort here. There is no comfort for you here. On the walls nearby appeared murals of various animals and houses. There were jaguars and elephants, giraffes and monkeys. Uh, There were the makings of a city painted uh, on these walls alongside some trees and oceans. There were trucks and aircraft. So clearly, these beings, they... They knew about humans, and they seem to be into them, Brian. And 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 what this reminds me of is like a, a pediatric wing of a hospital or a doctor's office uh, that you know a pediatrician's office. It, it it has those vibes in it now. I once broke into an abandoned uh, uh, child, uh, like orphanage, maybe like fifteen years ago, and it had like the most horrifying pictures uh, painted on the walls of like people trying to look happy and this is definitely what this reminds me of (laughs) yeah yeah definitely like um definitely like the intent was good the execution was piss poor yeah uh, absolutely i want to know who their artist is who they got to uh paint these things because i don't think they did a good job because jose antonio 
it's weird. He's in this place the of uh, this mixture of fear and kind of curiosity too. Like that seems to describe most encounters with aliens is I felt fear and I felt curiosity. Okay. I, and sometimes depending on the type of abduction I'm thinking about, Vilbo is like maybe a razzle, yeah. perhaps a little bit of a razzle. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit of razzle, a little bit of dazzle, you know, just one of the beings had picked up his belongings and apparently brought them with them. He didn't he didn't actually see them bring them, which is interesting. And they were now unwrapping this cloth package. Also interesting that they know how it was wrapped together. I I think when he was fishing that it was, you know, uh, everything was taken out, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, I picture like a bindle. Yeah, exactly. I like an old school hobo bindle. Yes, absolutely. So he, they started removing each item, and they started passing them around. And uh, there were hooks, and there were he had multiple knives for some reason. I guess you can't have too many when you're fishing. Well, you got to gut the different sized fish, yes. right? So I assume perhaps that's what it was about. Yes, perhaps you know, got to have that fillet knife and. Let me control F and see if he was a noted knife enthusiast, and I, I bet you he wasn't. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, I don't know what his specialty was with the Brazilian military, but, you know, he I'm sure he had hobbies. So. <laughs> He's the knife guy. He's just the Brazilian knife guy. <laughs> Jose Antonio da Silva, Brazilian knife guy. We've, we've <laughs> nailed it. We've got it here, folks. So he also had a box of matches, a tin of sardines, and other food items. And once uh, they had gone through each item, they placed the duplicates aside and wrapped the package back up. They seemingly took whatever duplicate items that he had uh, and uh, kept them. Uh, He also searched his pockets, and they took some of his money, uh, about 100 cruzeros worth of money, and they took his identification, which is... It's unfortunate, because you kind of need that. And in his case, he's really going to need it once he gets back. I'm, I'm kind of surprised that they didn't take more foodstuffs, you know? Uh, they could. Yeah, but it seemed, it was very, I, I find it almost like cute. They're like, you know what? He's got more of one. Let us each have one of these. Yeah. And then he could have his stuff, most of his stuff back. Yeah. Like, they, they almost seem like anthropologists in their own right. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So during his capture, Jose Antonio da Silva noticed that these people, yeah, they had these like very just strange weapons. Uh, again, like, they look like primitive muskets. They really did, but they look like muskets that did not have like the normal function uh, of a gun. It looked like a child's toy. So uh, they started to pull these out and they started to kind of shoot them at the wall just to give them a demonstration. There was a central figure that Jose had come to call Chief. This individual was handed a black cylindrical object, which he used to write on the wall behind him. Uh, In an attempt to communicate with the human, he pointed at Jose Antonio, then upwards, downwards. It feels like we're doing a Mortal Kombat, you know, fatality or the, here. Yeah, the, the Konami code is being used intergalactically. Yes. And uh, he pointed over to the other beings in the room. He spoke words, and after he said his piece, he would wait for a response, as if Jose knew what he had said. Uh, the bearded man then drew a sketch of what appeared to be an army camp. 
Uh, there were crude soldiers drawn holding weapons. The leader pointed to the weapons, then to Jose, downwards and then upwards, back, back, forward, forward, select start. Uh, that's when it dawned on him that these beings wanted some of our weapons, Brian. Jose Antonio said no, but the chief was insistent. He wanted some guns. That's right. It's an arms deal. Uh, I love that he was brought here without knowing any of that either. They're really negotiating from a position of strength. Yes, they they really are. This ain't a scene. It's a goddamn arm race. You know, (laughs) Uh, that's that's what it is. Uh, These negotiations continued on back and forth. One of the bearded boys came forward with a like a stone container that had this like that had been carved into the shape of a cube, and there was a dark green liquid in it. And kind of sloshed around a little bit, and they urged the soldier to drink. But he refused again and again until he saw one of the other bearded boys start to take a drink. And then he's like, well, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. He's just juicing. Yeah. He's just he's just cleansing right now. You wonder where Jose Canseco got it from. Well, now we know. <laughs> it's these aliens. He said it had a bitter taste, but it brought him some kind of vitality and he felt like it made the leader easier to understand, even though like he's going to describe not understanding them at all again. <laughs> this was you know, meant to be a parlay, an agreement between two civilizations to share what they had. So uh, this is a direct quote from the article. Quote, Using the big pencil on the horizontal slate, the leader patiently traced two big circles side by side. Then he blackened one of them leaving the other circle white. He pointed first to one circle, and then to the other, and then finally to Jose Antonio, and downwards. Jose Antonio finally grasped what the white circle corresponded to, the terrestrial day, and the black circle to our night. He next outlined an enormous series of small circles with white insides, linking them by gestures with the bigger white circles. Jose Antonio understood that the small circles corresponded to days. As he drew each small circle, the leader of the little men paused and drew Jose Antonio's attention by gestures so that he began to count them. Very patiently, the leader completed a great mass of small white circles and then drew around them all another larger circle. Jose Antonio lost count when he had got beyond 300 with the number of small circles, but concluded that the whole lot had taken together signified a year, or 365 days. When he had given his affirmative gesture to the leader, the latter went on to draw nine more agglomerations of small circles, linking them by gestures to the first agglomeration, and drawing the attention of Jose Antonio, who now perceived that he was talking about a unit of ten years, as each agglomeration of small white circles was circumscribed by another larger one. Then the little man drew a thick line separating off three of the agglomerations from the remaining seven, and then began pointing, first at the group of three agglomerations of circles, and then at Jose Antonio, and then downwards. After that, he again pointed to the soldier, and then upwards, and then at the group of seven large agglomerations, and made still more gestures, thus giving Jose Antonio to understand the sequence of his message as follows. 
He is proposing to take me to Earth, where I shall remain for three years, collecting information for him. Then he will send for me to come to them, where I shall remain studying for seven years. And finally, they will land on Earth with me as a guide. That's a lot. That is that is quite a bit. It's amazing that he understood what they were talking about. Well, what so that's they were my question drawing. to you. How much of this is inference, do you think? I think a lot of it is. I think this is Jose Antonio trying to make sense of a very strange situation that does not make sense in the slightest. Because to, to me, like the the drawing of a length of time, sure that makes sense. But the inference that he is supposed to be a cosmic spy was very interesting to me. Um, yeah, I, I found it very very like there was definitely a level of inference there. <laughs> I think he's grasping, very much grasping for uh, yeah anything that he could to to really get to this point. Uh, to get to this point in which, because uh, this has like Project Serpo vibes right now, like this is yeah. very Serpo esque, before Serpo was even a thing. So, but but then Rob, what did he? What did this man decide to do? He he was just declining. He declined. He declined again and again. And he actually took the rosary that he he, he had been clutching a rosary in his hands, and you know. At this time, the leader just started to show some clear frustrations. His grip, you know, forced one of the beads to fall on the floor. And, you know, like a a group of leprechauns, the Beard Boys bounced on this, and they took the crucifix and just passed it around. (laughs) But we're getting to the best part right now. Things in the room got weirder when a strange man materialized in front of Jose Antonio da Silva. Well, it happens. It happens. Uh, my last point before I forget is, you know, we're living in the moment of the great resignation, but truly this can be traced back to here when uh, uh, the chief getting angry, because very clearly he's offered other humans the opportunity to do this is also rejected. So clearly this man, um, and what I was referring to in the intro about the, the most mundane abduction is that this man was offered a job and said, no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he was offered a recruitment position with uh, the Beard Boys, and he de- he de- he declined it. It's and then, as soon as he does, a a man appears. Yes, a man appears. He, this was a very human-looking figure. He was about one point seven meters tall, or about five foot five inches, with rosy white cheeks and adorned in a monk-like robe cinched around the waist with white rope. This figure immediately calmed the frightened soldier with his demeanor. What he imparted to Jose has been kept hidden, though. They're sacred to him, and despite the investigators trying to convince him, uh, he would not divulge what this being's secret was. The form that this being took was allegedly famous. This was supposed to be some kind of famous figure in history. But again, Jose Antonio was not telling anybody about that. Well, the only thing you said is that it wasn't Jesus. Yes, it wasn't Jesus. So that leaves, what, like two billion other people to go through the list? Uh, y- yeah. Um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put, uh, put my cards on the table. I bet she saw Francis. There, there's just no way. St. Francis, that's who he saw. Like, th- th- I think that's who it is. 
hands down. So do you think that this was drawn out of his mind? So my other question to you is, do you think the drink was having an effect on him? It may have been having an effect on him. I think that whatever materialized was responding to the rosaries that he had in his hand. Because clear, I, I, to me, in this image that I see is is like a is a the image of a monk, like a Franciscan monk, who uh, is there to calm him. And do you think this is internal, or this was brought about by uh, uh, the outside forces by which he's like inhabiting the same room? That's what I don't know. This is this is where I'm confused. In that. Is, I really don't know if this is a byproduct of whatever drink that he had, or if this was some kind of manifestation that the this or defense mechanism. Yeah. What I was thinking, you know, in response to a traumatic experience after turning down a job, and like we were just joking about that, but like being in the situation is very traumatic. You have to deal with people you can't talk to who are suddenly asking you to do something that you don't want to do. Yeah, it's just wow. It's like. To me, this is it's so weird that we cover these cases, you know, of people being abducted by strange beings. Everything up to this point uh, has been just so buck wild. And yet this is the one like hanging hanging on point that I just can't get out of my head. Why? How did this monk appear to him? What? What was this, you know? Because- and also the secret, right? Like, it, it's shades of the, the secrets of Fatima. Like, it's this yes. weird thing of, like, something has been divulged that he, that just civil like, refuses to tell anyone about. And is it related to this at all? There's no indication that it is or it isn't. There is no indication. It is uber mysterious. And we're we're never going to get an answer because, like, this, this is something that is definitely sacred to Jose Antonio. He's not telling anybody. But... The vision uh, shortly after disappeared. Uh, the Beard Boys were growing agitated, and his guardians again took him underneath the arms after that and just returned to the machine. They were pretty much done with him. Um, he was blindfolded again. Uh, like, again, they seem like mob bosses. They're like blindfolding him, <laughs> taking him from this room to the craft. Like, why can't he know what what's out there? Like, wh- what's going on here? So, and that's that's another point I wanted to make, right? Like, this has a lot of hallmarks of a classic uh, UFO abduction case, but Dezilfo never actually sees them leaving a planet. Right. He just, he's in a machine. That machine, like, it seems like it's uh, moving around, up and down, and going places. But, like, yeah, this is all done in, a like, a blind realm. Yeah, like to me, like yeah, of course the the extraterrestrial hypothesis, like the ETH, is on the table, but like it could also be interdimensional too. Is, is something that I was thinking, you know, that kind of explains some of the like one foot in, one foot out, like those weird dead bodies just hanging out. Yeah, just hanging. There are so many questions with this case, and, and the abduction cases up to this point are not very. Um, they're not steeped in high strangeness. They are no. very uh, terrestrial in their own way. The Betty and Barney Hill case, they weren't, like, taken aboard by a beam. They were walked on. Same with uh, Antonio Villas-Boas, who was captured. Similar to these, like, beings who, uh, and, you know, Jose, he wasn't beamed aboard, but, like, there are mo- there's more high strangeness elements to this case than any of the other abduction cases that have come out since then. So... 
or, or before then. So, like, it, this case features elements of high strangeness before the more famous cases that did feature elements of high strangeness would come out. So, uh, to me, that's that's pretty fascinating. Some offbeat case in Brazil has all this before, you know, other more well-known cases do. Yeah, and there's the the religious aspect to it, which you don't necessarily see in a lot of cases either. No, like the the only one that really comes to mind is Betty Andreessen, and yep. which happened pretty much around the same time. You know? Yeah, a couple of years before. Yeah, and yeah, like the same period in the early sixties. Yeah. Yep. This craft it touched down on Earth again, where Jose Antonio he kind of was in and out of consciousness and. Uh, almost immediately uh, after the helmet was removed, he just started going in and out. And he faintly recalled being hauled through the woods in darkness. He said it felt like only an hour had passed before uh, the sunrise, and the sound of running water woke him. Beside him was his package, um, which is very... I I worded that oddly. Um, It's good to know that this package is nearby. From which he drew a, a water bottle and crawled down to a nearby brook to fill it. He also spent a, a little time fishing, you know, for which he did, he was able to catch a small fish and eat it. Uh, when the sun had fully risen and he was able to get a good look at his surroundings, the landscape was very strange and unfamiliar. He had been placed near a stone quarry that sat on the edge of a ravine. Uh, he then took stock of himself and noticed that he had several days of beard growth he was exhausted and confused his clothing was disheveled he had no choice so he started to walk and he came across a man and in what must have been the most awkward way asked him where he was jose antonio was now 32 kilometers or about 20 miles from vittoria the capital of the state of espirito santo (laughs) from the next state over uh he was hundreds of kilometers from bebedoro even stranger when asked what day it was jose antonio found out that it was now friday may 9th he'd been gone for over four days and uh that was when he asked the man which way to minas jaraiz you know, determined to avoid people, and I, and I love this move. Uh, he he didn't want to get arrested, so he stuck to the woods. And like the 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 way the the article writes it, he's like he's going to subsist on food, like fruits and, <laughs> and and fish. And I'm like, okay. But the funny thing is, he was spotted a bunch of times by a bunch of motorists, <laughs> and like you know, a lot of them stopped to to offer him help. And he refuses each time. It reminds me, so to make another video game analogy, it reminds me of like playing Metal Gear Solid and like when Solid Snake, um, you know, uh, gets seen by anyone. He's trying to sneak around. He's maybe in a box. Yep. Then suddenly it's over, man. Yep. Yeah. It, it was kind of like um, when you played Hitman 2 and it suddenly became harder to like, you know, hide and uh, blend <laughs> in. Yeah. It's exactly like that. I mean, it's completely fair, a, you know, a bald dude. Is going to stand out rather easily, especially when he has a barcode on the back of his head. His right leg was bothering him. It was uh, his his right knee was actually incredibly swollen, which made it difficult to walk. And there were 
three open wounds on his shoulders that were caused by what he assumed was the helmet during the experience. Uh, his skin was sunburnt, and he was very malnourished, but he wasn't hungry. Given his utter exhaustion, he finally relented and accepted a ride, and when asked what he was doing, he simply stated, quote, fulfilling a vow, kind of uh, feeding into the uh, vision that he had on the ship. Uh, again, he doesn't divulge anything that the being said, but this is now part of it. It's part of the story. So he, he traveled with them as far as he could, then he set off on foot again. Uh, he passed by a group of children that pointed him to the nearest train station, and they allegedly pelted him with rocks after it. So, you know. I mean, like, the 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 connotation of, like, a religious experience, right? Complete with the naysayers pelting you with rocks. Yeah. Completely normal. Yeah. I, man, I didn't even realize, like, all of the religious, you know, overtones of this until we started recording. Like, I know, the, the, the mug figure, yes, but it's just like, holy crap, is this, like, Jose Antonio meeting Jesus, and then he comes back and he's, uh, you know, granted a... Granted a spot as a sinner and 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 uh, just ostracized from society that's where we're at this this is what happens and this is why people don't want to share their experiences it's terrible it's just terrible shit happens like this from the cruzeros he had left he bought himself a ticket to Belo horizonte and at 7 25 a.m on saturday may 10th he stepped on the platform with his head wrapped in a bandage, and he was carrying his uh, cloth-wrapped package, he caught the attention of Geraldo Lopez da Silva, a you know, railway security agent who stopped Jose Antonio, who definitely stood out. He asked to see his papers, and when he couldn't produce them, he said, quote, No, chief, I haven't got any papers, because they took them from me. But I am a soldier. And that was when he told uh, Geraldo his entire story. And upon confirming his identity, he was sent to his barracks where he was isolated for 24 hours. He was sent home the next day where he had learned that his family was going was in the process of sending out a search party to find him. They didn't expect him to be gone that long. But in the days following his encounter, he complained of a burning sensation in his eyes his eyesight became much less sharp than it had been, and he felt sporadic stomach pains. He would return to the site of his abduction with UFO investigators. He had strange concerns that the liquid he drank gave the beings power over him, and he felt self-conscious, too, believing that the Beard Boys wanted him to betray his country, Brian. Not just his country, the world. The world. The world at large. These aliens... They want some guns, and this betrayal, you know, loomed on him heavy. I think he had it in his mind that these beings were definitely going to come back for him. And they did, yes. apparently. Yes, they did. Twelve days after his return, he was paid another visit by the Beard Boys. On a sleepless night, Jose Antonio ventured out to his garden to check on his goats. When he pulled open the door and saw three short men standing in his garden, looking at him. Jose simply closed the door 
and locked it. He would go on to have another sighting, this time of a yellowish sphere of light. Uh, Jose decided to go on a walk at 10 o'clock one evening. When he caught sight of this glint of yellow above him, the object moved quickly toward him, making a set of vertical and lateral movements oddly reminiscent of the movements that the quote-unquote chief made. And uh, before long, the, the object disappeared. So that right there is the story of Jose Antonio da Silva. One thing that it, uh, it's um, Walter Bueller, who who has commentary on this case, brings up is that uh, apparently there's this like uh, distortion of time in which Jose Antonio believes he's gone for just two days and it turns out to be four days. I don't think this is anything significant, but he, he tries to make it out to be a big deal. And he includes some math formulas in his I article. To, <laughs> I was going to say, you tried to get me to read a fucking chart and that was not happening. Brian said, shut that shit down. I did not come here to read charts. Well, so the, the article also contains the explanation of the theory of relativity, including uh, a formula. Yes. And uh, then just a chart about uh, showing the relationship between velocity and time. So cool, cool, cool. Yeah, it the boring parts of ufology, basically. The um, Let's see if we can use science to explain what happened to this man. But uh, yeah, it's... Um, it it didn't fly with me, but there was a follow-up letter written to Flying Saucer Review uh, months after this case had been published in which the uh, letter writer suggested that uh, the similarities of these individuals to, like, Norse trolls. I could see that. Yeah, they definitely have a lot of those similarities uh, just in... Uh, the way that their appearance, their beards, their short trolls in Norse kind of mythology are shorter than, uh, you know, other kinds of trolls. So, yeah, it's it's an interesting parallel. But, um, Brian, what did, what did you think of this case? It is a very, very, very strange case. And I do mean that, like, having spent some time reading and uh, living uh, you know, uh, with ufology, especially modern ufology, like this is just a wild one because like you were saying before, there's all these like different elements to it. There's the, the question of whether or not this was actually like extraterrestrial. Firstly, the idea that like, um, there's, uh, dead human bodies. There's like weird tech. Uh, he ingests a liquid, um, which you don't really see all too often in a lot of these cases. And then the, the missing time or the time distortion. And then the religious aspect to it too, is just like a whole other level of like strangeness to it. It's the the kitchen sink of UFO cases. Before UFO cases are that, are all of these elements of high strangeness. And really around this time, the closest one is Betty Andreessen because, like, hers are very yeah, religious-oriented in that uh, there's, like, religious symbolism involving uh, seeing phoenixes and eagles and, and just offbeat christian symbology uh with this it, it, the symbology is a little more um overtly presented it's uh, a little more obvious in that the dude clutched some rosary beads the uh beings passed the passed it around and then a weird monk appears in front of the man it's just i i i've also there's a secret that's never been revealed right yes like, i'm just yes they like when is it, 
I'm assuming that Jose Antonio da Silva is not with us anymore. Um, maybe he is, but he would be... He'd be pretty old in that case. Uh, I think he would be somewhere in his 80s by it, now? Late, yeah, like late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, I... You're asking me to do math. You're asking me to look at equations, Rob. You're asking me to look at charts. I know. Charts. It's, eight, it's 8 o'clock at night, and I'm, I'm asking you to, uh, you know... You know I'm not I'm not that kind of guy, Rob. I know. I'm sorry. It's just uh You asked you asked the wrong guy to look at this equation. <laughs> I could do I could do to the power of two. That's that's about it. So I love Pythagoras though. Uh Pythagoras, uh I'm down. Dope dude. Uh would have been one of his homies back in the day. For sure. So has this case inspired you to take a trash can and make your own UFO with it? Uh, no, I am willing to go on a fishing trip and hope to be picked up, though. That's that's good. That's that's fair, Brian. That's absolutely fair. Um, Brian. Also, the irony I realize of him uh, going on a fishing trip and then not catching anything and being re- like forced to eat a can of sardines mm-hmm. is very telling. It is very telling. Um, I like that he had a fish redundancy built in. That is important to have with you when you're going fishing because uh as we know in in the case of the allagash guys in the case of alfred uh Berto, sometimes the fish aren't biting and you got to make do so a redundancy a food redundancy in this case is absolutely important you gotta have it you gotta bring it and you gotta wrap it in a cloth package that some aliens are going to bring on board their on their craft and you know, just root through. So it's it's important. It's very important. So, Brian, we've we've done this case to hell. What's what's going on on your end? What's happening with double density these days? We're doing things. We're doing stuff. We have one more episode. I don't know when this episode drops, by the way. So let's just assume it's in the near future. But we are. Uh, we have one less episode for the end of 2021. I have ideas of how to torture my co-host Angelo, who's very um, proper and prim and nice. And Rob, you know him quite well too. So it's mm-hmm. just, it's always fun poking the bear. And then in early 2022, I have a bunch of um, Ed Dames's research material for like a like a bunch of like remote viewing classes that I'm going to uh, take because these are like self-taught remote viewing classes. So I've uh, I've done the uh, enough work to join the remote viewing subreddit and also uh, line up the files in order, and that's where I'm at right now. But that's going to be an early 2022 thing. As you can tell, folks, there's a lot on the horizon for the Double Density Podcast. And if you haven't listened to the Double De- Density Podcast what are you waiting for? There are hundreds of episodes just waiting for you. Over 100. What are you what are you at now? Like 180 180. Yes. Huh? And uh, you were on you were on what like uh I want to say like 4 months ago, 5 months ago at this point? Yes, it was it, this past right before summer. Canada Day. Right before Canada Day. Yes, absolutely. Uh so go check out their back catalog. It's great. Angelo is a total um Apple apologist, even in the worst of times for Apple. So uh, the man owns like five HomePods. It's <laughs> insane to me to allow that many HomePods into a home. I, unlike your most recent episode, uh, he talked about how much harm he would inflict on someone if he broke one of his HomePods. And I am <laughs> yes. now tempted, you know, via some Mission Impossible type maneuver uh, to break one of them. You know, if we did the math, Rob, and you wanted to cross the border, you could reach him pretty quickly is what I've realized. 
Excellent. Just putting it out there. If you need it as a dress, I have it. <laughs> and there's a there's a real high chance he'll never hear this. So I'm just saying, like, it's open season. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Go I, wreck his pool. I'm, oh, man, so much vandalism is going to occur. <laughs> just imagine trying to cross the border and trying to explain what you're doing. Yes, I'm, I'm vandalizing. Don't worry about this. Yeah. It's just petty vandalism. Petty vandalism. You don't even need to arrest me for it, okay? And then we also we also have our current venture of uh, the Order Podcasters, which yes. I love doing, and uh, we just finished up a season. We're going to start a new one um, sooner or later, I think. Yes, I, I'm assuming in January we're going to get to that. Uh, we have a Q&A coming up soon that will be uh, going live. Um, I believe, yeah, it'll be the day before this comes out is when it's going to happen on the 19th but you can catch the replay over at twitch.tv slash technofunkboy as for the our strange skies podcast you can find us on most podcasting apps and if you'd like to help us out leaving ratings and reviews on any app that allows it helps us out tremendously you know you should do that it's the giving season give your favorite podcasts you know some good ratings and reviews Sharing the show with a friend helps. Uh, word of mouth is great when it comes to podcasts. And, and if you want to support us monetarily, head on over to patreon.com slash your UFO guy. For $3 a month, you get early access to the main episodes as well as bonus episodes exclusive only to Patreon. And, uh, you know, there as we've uh, discussed, there are other projects that I'm involved in. So check the link tree in uh, the show notes for this episode to find out more about the projects that I have going on. And uh, special thanks to Brian here for coming on for this batshit crazy case. <laughs> it's just so damn great. To I'm never disappointed when I when I come on here because usually you give me the good stuff. Like we we did signs together. We've done a, a bunch of stuff. You forced me to watch the fourth kind. I did. Sort of at the beginning of the pandemic, which was just a dumpster fire of a movie it was a dumpster fire of a movie but it produced a great round table that had you chris cogswell and spencer worth davis from the what if podcast on it it's just absolutely fantastic so if you haven't listened to that you can go into the our strange skies past catalog and and look that up so also special thanks to floats for the use of their song ufo for the intro and outro to this program and to the great Desdemona for designing our logo. And finally, don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies, or over the skies of your favorite fishing hole in Grey We Trust.
Duvid Media.